What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John. And this week, we are back with episode 96, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC 249 pay-per-view going down this Saturday, May 9th, 2020, with the first of the 12 fights starting at 6.30 Eastern Time, with the main card starting at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. This is the first UFC event in about six to seven weeks since the coronavirus pandemic happened. The last event was in Brasilia. We had to cancel a lot of UFC events. They tried rescheduling it on April 18th, and that got canceled as well. But here we are, May 9th, and it looks like the UFC is getting back to a full schedule and planning two more events later this week so we will be grinding out the martian mma episodes and it's just great to be back it feels surreal that we're getting the, a fight card of this quality during these crazy times uh you know we didn't even know if we were having fights a few weeks ago and now we got 12 incredible fights stacked from prelims to main card I'm just so grateful to have the UFC back. So grateful to be making podcasts again. Uh, Thankful for you all tuning in and listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. So with that being said, we are going to start things off with the first fight of the evening. In the light heavyweight division, we have Ryan Spann taking on Sam Alvey. Now taking a look at the opening betting lines, we have Ryan Spann as the huge favorite, minus 400 openers. He's now minus 410. Sam Alvey is the plus 365 underdog, and this is a massively juiced line. I don't necessarily agree with it being this wide. I think Spann being around minus 300 is more appropriate, but I'm also in no rush to bet Sam Alvey at that plus 365 price. I mean, there's definitely a little bit of value on Alvey because I think this could turn into a low output kickboxing fight and Alvey could uh, win some of these rounds, possibly a decision. He possibly could touch the chin of of Span because Span is really not that good. His striking looked pretty decent against uh, Noguera, but then he didn't really look so hot against Clark. And then he eventually hurt Clark in round two and got a, a decent choke and a nice finish there. Definitely his best win to date over Devin Clark, who's actually a pretty good fighter and just hasn't been able to put it together really in his UFC run. So Span has looked decent in his UFC run so far. Alvi not looking so hot in his most recent fights, getting knocked out by Noguera, getting knocked out by Cruton round one his chin is not looking so good and he's just looking a lot slower in that octagon lately he's always had a very slow plotting style very low output um, and he's been in the UFC for a long time this is his 19th UFC fight but I don't think that'll change the fact that uh, Span is just a better athlete the more physical guy he's probably going to pressure Alvi and likely touch the chin of Alvi and get the knockout at some point my pick is uh, Span round two knockout but it's definitely dogger pass at these odds and I would definitely not put a span in parlays i wouldn't advise betting him at all i think the value is on alvi here Uh, so pick once again is span round two ko the next fight we got charles rosa taking on bryce mitchell in the featherweight division Bryce Mitchell is the favorite in this one. He opened up at minus 150. Charles Rosa plus 130. Right now, two-way action is coming in. Bryce Mitchell minus 155. Rosa plus 145. So the early action came in on uh, Mitchell. Now the action is trickling back on uh, Charles Rosa. And I agree with uh, the action coming back on Rosa. I think it got a little wide there at around minus 180, 190. I I think... I think Mitchell has definitely shown a lot more in the octagon lately. Rosa has only had one fight in the past uh, two and a half years, and he looked really bad in that fight. I mean, he looked scared to engage on the feet versus Bermudez. He got taken down off of a, a weak kick, and then he got stuck on his back. It was going for 
some weak armbar attempts for several minutes. Looked like he was on his way to losing the fight and looking like a, a terrible bet for me at the time. I definitely uh, was pretty high on Rosa in that fight. And then all of a sudden, he gets an armbar out of nowhere and taps Bermudez. It was a really weird win, uh, but he did get the, the win in that fight. Uh, and he did win as an underdog in that last fight around the same price. So uh, now we got Mitchell, who is coming off of a very impressive twister victory over Sales. Came off of a really close decision win over Bobby Moffitt earlier in 2019. That fight was so, so close. I mean, I think that it was 1-1 headed into round three, and Bobby Moffitt was winning the first three or four minutes of that fight before Mitchell got a back take in the last minute of the fight and stole the round and stole the fight. But that was a really close fight. Mitchell got taken down a lot of times in that fight. He spent a lot of time off his back. And, I mean, Mitchell looked great on the ground last fight versus Sales, but people are getting it distorted thinking that he's some uh, incredible grappler i mean he, he's not really and that was pretty evidently clear in the bobby moffett fight where he was taken down and out grappled for most of that fight now rosa did not look good on the feet at all as i mentioned mitchell was kind of uh iffy on the feet as well he did uh drop bobby moffett with a straight left hand in that fight but in, in general his striking is pretty sloppy so it's hard to imagine a clear winner in the striking exchanges in this fight. I do slightly lean Mitchell because he's been the more active fighter. And from what I saw of Rosa in that last fight versus Bermudez, he looked really scared to engage and did not look comfortable in the striking. And I, I slightly lean Mitchell to win the striking exchanges here. And on the ground, I think it'll be very competitive. I think that it, it's likely to end up on the ground just because these guys both prefer to grapple. Uh, and the difference between them and the grappling on the on the mat is that Mitchell is better from top and Rosa is better from bottom. Rosa has the ability to hit sweeps and submissions off of his back while Mitchell tends to get stuck on his back and not be able to get up like in that Moffat fight. So this is definitely going to be a competitive fight and I agree with the, uh, the action coming back on Rosa and I agree with Mitchell being the favor. I think where the price where it's at right now is actually really appropriate. Uh, I think it'll be a back and forth fight. I slightly lean Mitchell because he's been more active. He's been getting some good wins and I, and I think that he will slightly win the striking exchanges and I, I think that being on top uh, is what Mitchell prefers and that's definitely the better uh thing in the eyes of the judges is the better strategy to grapple is to be on top in the minds of the judges while Rosa could get a get a little too comfortable playing bottom and accidentally lose these close rounds so it's really close the pick is Mitchell by decision I think it's dogger pass uh, and the price right now at minus 155 plus 145 is, is very accurate I'd say the next fight is a rematch between Vicente Luque and Nico Price in the welterweight division the opening betting line for this one was Luque, the minus 250 favorite, to price plus 210. Right now, we are seeing Luque minus 280 to price plus 255. So, even more action coming in on the heavy favorite Luque in this one. And that's because he won the first fight pretty dominantly. Uh, Luque was able to pressure Price. Price did not really know what to do going backwards. Uh, Luque was outstriking Price, started hurting him with punches, and then eventually uh, snatched a Darce choke in round two for a very impressive finish. But since then, I think the, they've kind of gone in opposite directions. I think Price has slightly improved, while Luque has actually declined a bit. And, I mean, Price has only so slightly improved. I mean, most of his, his wins lately are actually fights that he was kind of losing and not looking so good in, and then all of a sudden he just pulls a knockout out. And... 
that happened with Randy Brown. He was on bottom versus Randy Brown. He gets a, a knockout off of his back. He was getting pieced up by Tim Means, got hurt real bad in that fight, but then knocked Tim Means out in a wild exchange. He got uh, hurt a few times in the Jeff Neal fight before getting knocked out in that one. And he was on bottom versus James Vick. Uh, he got taken down off of, uh, I think he actually took Vick down and then ended up on his back and then landed that crazy upkick on James Vick. But it's not like he's winning these fights in a very reliable fashion. He's winning them with, uh, we're not really knowing who's the better fighter between his him and his opponents after he wins them because the knockouts are kind of out of nowhere. And uh, that's kind of a hard style to uh, to to predict when he's when he's getting in the cage now and I think that these these circumstances of uh, the fights being uh, on short notice them being in a, a weird location no fans all these circumstances kind of favor price because he likes fighting with uh, uncertainty and all these wild factors and I, I think that that kind of favors him so uh, Luke is going to have to really put together one of his better performances lately because Luke has been getting hit a lot in his last uh, four fights He's gotten, uh, he's absorbed 400 strikes in his past four fights against uh, Barbarina. He took very little damage against Kranz. He got uh, pieced up by Wonder Boy. Took a lot of damage in that fight. And the the Mike Perry fight, he also got hit about 80 times in that fight, despite getting the decision victory. And you know he did win most of those fights. He won three of his last four, only losing to to Wonder Boy. But uh, still, took a lot of damage in those fights. Looked a lot more hittable, and just hasn't looked like the same guy who was on that win streak earlier in his uh, UFC career. So, I actually slightly think that this the betting line is a little wide here. I think that Price's chance of getting the knockout are around 35%. So I think that there's a little bit of value on Price here. I really don't see Price winning by submission or decision. I think his real only chance of winning is by knockout. Luke can win the fight really by knockout, submission, or decision, really. So I agree with Luke being the favorite. I think his chances are around 60-65%. I think minus 200, minus 220 maximum would be where I would cap him at. But you know where he where Price is at now, almost plus 250, I definitely think there's some value on Price. I think that the knockout threat is, is very uh, real with how much Luke Hay has been getting hit lately. He's just, just been suffering defensively in his past few fights. So uh, I think it'll be a crazy, crazy back-and-forth brawl. I think that Luke actually has a, a strong chance of knocking Price out too. I think this fight does end by knockout because Price is just going to bite down on the mouthpiece and start swinging if it doesn't go his way. And I think that he could very well get knocked out by Luke too. So... The pick is actually going to be Luke by knockout, but I think that the, the odds are a little wide in this one, and I think that there's some value on price money line. So uh, maybe bet a price money line for a small, you know, half unit, one unit bet. Maybe look for a fight ends by a knockout uh, prop as well, because I do think that that's how this one ends. So it's going to be uh, fun to see this fight in an empty arena, and uh, the pick is going to be Luke by knockout. The next fight is in the middleweight division. We have Jacare Souza taking on Uriah Hall. The opening betting line for this one was Jacare, the favorite, minus 135 to Hall, plus 115. Right now we are seeing Jacare minus 127 to Hall, plus 117. So 
two-way action coming in on this fight. Uh, I think the more action is actually coming in on Uriah Hall in this one. And, man, really, really fun fight. It's going to be a hard fight to predict. I don't really have a confident read on this one. I do think it goes to decision. I think it uh, tends to be a low-output type of fight. A lot of Uriah Hall's fights are like that. An interesting statistic is Uriah Hall has never won a fight when he landed more than 42 strikes so he wins a lot of his fights by knockout but he also wins a lot by low volume decision uh, he wins them by losing in the first two rounds and then coming back for a third round knockout that happened against Bivon Lewis it happened against uh, Jotko as well and he had a very good performance last fight against Antonio Carlos Jr. he won a 29-28 decision in that fight his takedown defense looked a bit improved. He was able to escape a back take in round one, do some damage with some punches in round one, drop Carlos Jr. in round two. Eventually did get taken down in his back taken and lost round three, but it was a strong performance. He clearly won the decision in my mind, winning rounds one and two. And his boxing was sharp, and it's it's going to be a, an interesting matchup between Jacare. Jacare doesn't really go for takedowns as much. He only has landed one takedown in his past five fights. Uh, unlike uh, Antonio Carlos Jr., who attempts a very high number of takedowns. So I don't think that this fight uh, will end up on the floor. I think it's actually more likely to just be a, a kickboxing match between the two, and it's going to be real close. I mean, I, I cannot confidently pick a guy who's going to be winning these rounds because they're going to be very competitive. I mean, Jacare's boxing is, is very good. He looked real sharp against Chris Weidman. Even though he was kind of losing that fight, it was really competitive, and he eventually landed the knockout blow with the overhand right uh, he was punching to the body very well in that fight and uh, we've seen a lot of good things from his striking lately he went up to uh, to 205 to take on uh, Jan Blahovic in a very very boring fight very low output uh, low initiative fight uh, from Jacare he was kind of content to just like stand against the cage I mean both guys were it wasn't Jacare's fault but he I mean he moved up a weight class and he proved that he could hang with the best at 205 so definitely not a bad performance from Jacare at all so both these guys are, are I still very capable fighters even though they're kind of getting getting into the the end of their careers here I think it's going to be a fun kickboxing match and I think the Jacare edges two of these rounds here although the, the boxing exchanges are going to be close both of these guys are going to be hitting each other and uh, I think the rounds could go either way we could very well see a Uriah Hall decision in this one so I think the the betting value on this one is Uriah Hall I mean right now Hall is plus 117 on five dimes and he's uh, around plus 100 uh, I even see him at minus 101 on other books so it looks like the action is coming in on Hall I think that uh, I put one unit on a Hall at plus 125 uh, a few weeks ago and it looks like that's a good price right now not really in love with the bet but I just think it's a, a value seeing as this is kind of a 50-50 fight uh, although I do slightly lean to, with Jacare to win the decision so I think the most comfortable pick in this one or comfortable bet would be the fight goes to the de to the decision uh, at uh, let's see what is that My, plus 130 yeah plus money so at that, that might be a bet I might end up on but uh, once again the pick is Jacare by decision and we're going to move on to the next fight which is Michelle Waterson taking on Carla Esparza in the women's strawweight division. The opening betting line in this one was Carla Esparza, the minus 125 favorite to Michelle Waterson, plus 105. Right now we are seeing Esparza, minus 135, Waterson, plus 125. So 
more action coming in on Esparza, although some action has been coming back Michelle Waterson's way the past few days. And this is actually probably one of my most confident picks of the card. And I actually think that Esparza wins this one convincingly. And it really just comes down to the wrestling. Uh, I think the striking between the two of them will be fairly even in these exchanges. I slightly lean Waterson because... Uh, She's got a little more tools. She throws uh, better kicks than Esparza, but Esparza has decent boxing. She's got a uh, you know, very comfortable striking on, on the feet, uh, although she was outstruck in her last fight by Grasso. Grasso is one of the better strikers at women's 115. Looking at some statistics for this fight, Michelle Waterson does land one more strike per minute than Esparza does, but she also absorbs one more strike per minute than Esparza. And the main thing about this fight is the takedowns and that. Carla Esparza averages 3.5 takedowns per 15 minutes, while Michelle Waterson only averages 2 takedowns per 15 minutes. So Esparza is the much more reliable wrestler, and she's also the better technical wrestler in this one. And Michelle Waterson has actually avoided fighting a lot of wrestlers throughout her career. She hasn't had to fight uh, Esparza or um, Suarez or Gedalia or a lot of these women who are known for their grappling abilities. She's really gotten away with fighting uh, Carolina and Herrig and Tisha and a lot of these women who are more striking reliant than them. So it's going to be interesting to see... Um, Michelle matched up against a wrestler for once, and I don't think that the fight goes her way. I think that Asparza hits the takedowns, spends at least two to three minutes on top for each round, and wins these rounds pretty convincingly. I actually think that Asparza will likely dominate the fight. Maybe we'll see some, some close striking exchanges between the two. If there are prolonged striking exchanges in the fight, you know, for several minutes when they're standing, we might see it turn very competitive and Michelle might even start to win the fight. But I just think that takedowns will be a major factor in this fight. I'm very reliant on Esparza uh, hitting those takedowns. And I think that she is, is reliable. I mean, she has won uh, some very some very good fights lately against uh, Jane Rudoba and Grasso. I actually don't think I agree with the Grasso decision. I believe I scored that fight for Grasso. But the, the Jane Rodoba win, it, it was a very, very impressive win. Jane Rodoba is an incredible grappler. She was undefeated at the time. She's great off of her back. She's got a good sweep. She's a legit black belt. And it was a very fun, competitive grappling fight between those two women. But Esparza did win that fight, uh, rightfully so. And I, I just think that if she was able to outgrapple uh, a talented grappler who can get off her back, who can hit her own takedowns like Jane Rodoba, I think that beating uh, Waterson will be no problem for Esparza. So the pick is Esparza. I'm betting her. At, I believe I hit her at minus 125 when her uh, when the line first came out. If you can get her at minus 135 now, I think that there's value all over that. She's up to minus 160 on most other books. So five dimes has some massive value on Esparza right now. I think her chances of winning this fight are more like like 70%. So this is a very confident pick in Carla Esparza here. I think she wins the decision and it will be betting Carla Esparza pretty uh, heavily in this one. So uh, pick is Esparza by decision. The next fight takes place in the heavyweight division. We have Fabricio Verdum taking on Alexi Olenek. The opening betting line for this one was Verdum the favorite at minus 230, Olenek plus 170. Right now we are seeing heavy action on Verdum, minus 320 now, and then we see Olenek plus 290. So 
people are trusting Verdum as the favorite in this one. And I really do see why. This is a very favorable matchup for him. And it mostly comes out of fading Alexi Olenek. I mean, these guys are both 42 years old, but... Olenek has taken so much more damage than Verdum lately. I mean, he Verdum is actually coming off of a USADA suspension, and I don't. I'm not expecting that to affect his performance much at all. I'm not worried about him coming off of steroids. I think that he's probably still on them of some sort and uh, just found a way around the test. And I'm not really worried about a physical decline from him because he doesn't really have an athletic type of style um, besides, you know, his jumping kicks that he starts every fight with. Uh, he's got a kind of a basic striking uh, style with uh, just front kicks and straight punches. And, of course, he just that, that bare bones single leg that he goes to. He went to it against Alex Volkov multiple times. It hit against Walt Harris. It worked very easily. Um, I mean, Verdum is definitely looking a little declining in, in that fight against uh, Volkov. He had good cardio against Marcin Tabura when he was striking uh, for the full five rounds against Tabura. He th- landed like 150 strikes in that fight. But then when he was grappling a lot versus Alex Volkov, he gassed out real bad. He was gassed in round two or three of that fight and just went for broke in round four and got knocked out by Volkov. So uh, he was winning that fight up until that point, though. So I think the way this fight pans out is on the feet, you know, you know what you're getting from Olenek. He throws wild, crazy, untechnical punches. They're, they're, they have no technique. They have no rhyme or reason to them. They just come from weird angles. But I mean, he throws hard, and I mean, he hit Alistair Overeem with a few punches that, that definitely hurt Overeem in those exchanges. And Verdum should not mess around on the feet too much because anything can happen on the feet. A knockout could happen either way. But where the fight is definitely in Verdum's control is on the ground. Uh, there's a huge ground skill discrepancy between these two. Um, Olenek is a lifetime grappler. He's got 50 submissions on his record or something like that. But, I mean, Verdum's an ADCC champion. He's he's gone against some of the best grapplers to ever uh, compete in the sport of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I just see that no way that Olenek outgrapples Verdum here. Maybe he hurts him with a punch on the feet and gets some crazy submission. But even that I don't see happening. I think if a submission happens in this fight, nine times out of 10, maybe 19 times out of 20, it's Fabricio Verdum getting that submission. So I don't think we have to be worried about uh, Olenek's scarf holds or um, his chokes his Ezekiel chokes. I mean, Olenek's last fight against uh, Maurice Green, it, it was a sloppy win, but it, I mean, he did get it done. He did get it done by armbar in the second round, but I mean, he was breathing so heavy in that fight. I honestly think Olenek's heart would have uh, imploded if that fight went one more round. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if this fight goes into the later rounds. Uh, both of these guys, I'm sure their cardio cannot be too good. They're taking this fight on short notice. Verdum's coming off a long layoff. Olenek has never been in good shape uh, in his past few fights. So it, it's likely going to be sloppy. And based on that fact alone, I don't think you could be laying 3-1 to one on Verdum at this point. But people who came in, at Verdum under three to one, I think that's a pretty safe bet. I do think Verdum's chances of winning the fight are around seventy-five percent. So, uh, wouldn't go past three to one betting him or throwing him in parlays. But I do think Verdum gets it done, probably by submission. And uh, the pick is going to be Verdum by submission in round two. The next fight is the last fight on the prelims in the welterweight division. We have Donald Cerrone taking on Anthony Pettis in another rematch. And the opening betting line for this one was Pettis, the favorite, at minus 152, Cerrone, plus 120. Right now, we are seeing 
Pettis minus 132, Cerrone plus 120. Both of these guys have a lot of similarities. They're both making a pretty quick turnaround from competing at UFC 246. And they've also both been uh, the victims of kind of cruel matchmaking for their past three fights. They've both been matched with fighters way out of their, their skill level. And they're kind of being used as stepping stones for the UFC. But... When they fight fighters in their own skill class, like when Cerrone fought Hernandez or Perry or Iquinta, or when Pettis fought uh, Chiesa recently, they still fought pretty well. And uh, Cerrone has fought uh, better recently as uh, May of 2019. He actually had a three-fight win streak uh, last year, while Pettis hasn't really looked good since uh, that Chiesa win back in uh july of 2018 he did get that that knockout over steven thompson but did not look good in that fight looked really bad against nate diaz got dominated against uh, carlos diego ferreira so uh and then cerrone on the other hand too got knocked out three times in a row versus uh ferguson took a lot of damage uh got knocked out with a right hand versus gaichi and of course got knocked out by conor mcgregor in 40 seconds so uh, both of these guys have been struggling a lot lately, but I think this fight will both will be a lot easier for the both of them. I think that Pettis still tends to rely on his athleticism and search for finishes, like knockouts and submissions. He's not really a, a good decision-winning type of fighter. He has only won two decisions over the past 10 years. So uh, Cerrone is definitely better suited to win the minutes of this fight, to win the rounds, and, and eventually the, the decision if it goes to that, while Pettis is more likely to get that finish. Especially considering uh, Cerrone's durability, he has just not looked very good taking shots lately. But, I mean, neither really has Pettis. I mean, Pettis' cardio has looked really bad lately. I think Pettis' chin is much better, but uh, Cerrone's cardio is actually much better. So, uh, if this fight goes past the three-minute mark, I think I'm actually going to start to favor Donald Cerrone. And I think that early, uh, Pettis is going to look to come out uh, and maybe touch the chin of Cerrone and get him out of there. Uh, but I, I don't think it's going to happen, actually. I think that... Uh, Cerrone will able to be uh, be able to kickbox with Pettis. I think it'll go much differently than the first time they fought seven years ago when Pettis was that dynamic, confident striker. He's just not the same fighter anymore. And I think Cerrone has actually you know learned his capabilities uh, as an aging fighter. He's uh, still fighting within his abilities, and I mean he put in a good five round performance against Iaquinta. He got that nice finish over Hernandez while. Uh, Pettis did have that great come-from-behind knockout over uh, Wonderboy Thompson, but lately has not looked very good at all in the cage. So I'm actually going to pick Donald Cowboy Cerrone to withstand that early storm, not get finished, take this into the later rounds, out-volume Pettis, and eventually win that decision. I think he'll steal at least two of the three rounds. So the official pick is going to be Cerrone by 29-28 decision. Moving on to the first fight on the main card, and I mean, looking at these six fights, let's just... Uh, admire how incredible these six fights are going to be for them to put uh, these type of quality main card on in the middle of this pandemic it's going to be incredible to see these fights go down on saturday to, to start things off though in the heavyweight division we got greg hardy taking on jorgen de castro and the opening betting line for this one was hardy the favorite at Minus 192, Castro plus 165. That's right where the line sits at right now. Minus 190 plus 175 for Castro now. 
I actually think this line is uh, very appropriate. It might even be uh, a little too in favor of Castro. I think that you could line uh, Hardy up to minus 250, minus 300 at the maximum here. I, I think this is a good matchup for Hardy, and it's uh, mostly off of athleticism. I mean, Castro is going to be at a 5-inch height disadvantage and a 6-inch reach disadvantage in this one. And just in terms of speed and power, I think Hardy's just got massive advantages over Castro here. And uh, really in speed too. I think that's the the biggest factor is Hardy is just he moves really quick. I mean, he's just a, a a few tiers ahead of Castro in terms of athleticism and Hardy's probably going to do exactly what he did versus Sassoli and he's going to backpedal and just outstrike you with straight punches I mean Sassoli just didn't have the the, the striking tools to close the distance on Hardy constantly backpedaling and there was nothing Sassoli could do about it he was chasing him around the around the octagon for 15 minutes and Hardy easily out jabbed him and moved backwards through the occasional leg kick and uh, Hardy looked pretty composed doing so he's definitely learning how to fight the full 15 minutes he's learning how to compose himself and not go for that early first round knockout like he did earlier in his career so uh, I've liked what I've seen from Hardy lately on the other hand, uh, DeCastro did pick up a first-round knockout in his last fight, but not a really impressive performance. I mean, Tafa kind of just charged at him with his hands down, and Castro landed a beautiful uh, counter-right hook and put him out with one punch. But uh, Hardy's just not going to expose himself like that. Uh, Castro is going to have to really uh, open up Hardy to, to land a strike like that, and I just don't think Castro has the striking tools to do so. He does have a pretty good leg kick that he uh, hit uh, Meeks with a lot and eventually finished that fight with, but I just don't see that leg kick being enough to uh, to break down Hardy in this one. Uh, I mean, it's very possible he lands a few flush leg kicks in it, and Hardy's movement is uh, is debilitated, and maybe Castro Castro wins this fight somehow, but I, I just lean Hardy pretty heavily in this one. I think that minus 190 is a pretty good price for him. I more cap him towards minus 250. So I think that if you want to jump in on Hardy, I'd say it's a, it's a pretty safe bet. But just in, in terms of the heavyweight, in terms of these weird circumstances, I, I don't, I'm not very comfortable laying that that heavy chalk on Hardy, uh, especially because uh, he's still a very unproven fighter. Only has about five MMA fights, uh, not that much UFC cage time as well. So. Uh, I think Hardy gets it done by decision and does it uh, in a pretty unexciting way. It's not going to be a very fun fight, but I think he does it very safely and gets that decision win. The next fight is in the featherweight division. We have Jeremy Stevens taking on Calvin Cater. The opening betting line for this one was Cater the favorite at minus 250 to Jeremy Stevens plus 194. Right now we are seeing Cater minus 245 to Stevens plus 225. So there's two-way action coming in on this fight. Early action came in on Cater, but uh, action the past week has been coming in on Stevens. This should be a really fun fight. I see it being contested uh, about 90% on the feet. I don't see any circumstance where this fight goes to the ground. Neither guy is too uh, likely to hit takedowns. Although Jamie Stevens did hit two takedowns in round three versus Yair Rodriguez. Uh, I just don't think that uh, he will do so here. 
Calvin Cater is yeah, an incredible boxer. His his hand speed is in, is really quick. He's got real power in his hands. Knocked out uh, Ricardo Lamas last year with a beautiful uh, hook cross combination. And uh, both these guys lost a decision to Zabit last year. Both very close fights. I think both of the, the guys would have won the fights if they were over five rounds. But unfortunately, Zabit escaped uh, in the three-round contests. Um, they were different fights, though, in the sense that Stevens was kind of outgrappled by Zabit. And that's how Zabit was able to, to defeat uh, Stevens. While Cater was able to keep the fight standing and just got out-volumed in rounds one and two. And then one round, uh, three, both guys won round three against Zabit. But getting down to how they match up against each other, uh, I just think that Calvin Cater is just the much quicker, better boxer uh, and overall striker at this point in their careers. Um, the one liability with Cater is is his leg kicks. Is he's very heavy on that lead leg. He throws a lot of jabs, so he's constantly leaning on, on that lead leg. And he's suffered from getting leg kicked by a lot of his opponents. Moiscano really lit that leg up. Uh, Fishgold hit it a few times. And uh, most of his opponents are looking to target that leg nowadays. And Jamie Stevens has got you know very good leg kicks. And even if he throws that leg kick like seldomly, I think it'll be a pretty uh, consistent weapon for Stevens here. And I just think that Stevens will be outgunned in the boxing. That's the biggest thing, though. Even if he's able to land that leg kick, I just think that he's going to be getting jabbed. He's going to get lit up with that straight right hand of Cater. And we're just going to see the levels to the striking between these two guys at this point in their career. Stevens is getting uh, much older, and he looked uh, a little worn in his past few fights, just not the same uh, intensity. He's been getting hurt to the body a lot, too. Uh, I think that a huge key for the finish in this one is going to be Cater attacking the body. He's not the most prolific body puncher, but he's definitely been adding some body punches uh, to his arsenal in his past few fights. And with Stevens just being so durable. I mean, this guy is one of the most durable fighters in the history of the UFC. He's also had an historically great cardio. I mean, I've never seen Jeremy Stevens tired. But uh, he got hurt to the body with that left kick from Yair Rodriguez. He got dropped with a body shot from uh, Aldo and finished that way. But, you know, he's never getting finished with with head strikes. He rarely gets rocked from punches to the head or strikes to the head. So you got to go to that body to, to finish Stevens. And I think the Cater Wolf probably find that formula uh, somewhere in the fight. He's going to be hitting Stevens to the head and decide to switch it up to the body and will likely get a TKO in rounds two and three. So it should be a fun fight. I see why some people were coming in on Stevens. Uh, he's a very reliable guy, and that, that plus 200 is tempting. But I don't think there's much value. I do cap uh, Cater at around uh, 70% in this one. And I think that he eventually outboxes uh, Stevens and gets that knockout in the later round. So let's go with a, a third-round knockout uh, victory for Calvin Cater. Uh, should be a really fun fight between these two. The next fight takes place in the heavyweight division. We have Francis Ngannou taking on Jairzino Rosenstrike. The opening betting line for this one was Ngannou, the favorite, at minus 293 to Rosenstrike plus 223. And right now we are seeing Ngannou minus 275, Rosen plus 250. So more action coming in on Ngannou, although there is two-way action coming in on this fight. Man, I think this is a pretty crazy line, and this is coming from someone who's doubted Rosenstrike throughout a lot of his UFC career. 
I think I picked him against Albini, and then I think I picked Crowder against him, sadly, Arlovsky against him, sadly, and he knocked both of those guys out in like 30 seconds. And then I picked Overeem against him, and he actually came back and knocked out Overeem in round five in a crazy, crazy walk-off knockout from Rosenstrike. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that knockout being ruled a knockout. I thought it should have gone to the decision, but that's beside the point. Rosenstrike dug deep. He had good cardio in rounds four and five and was able to defeat uh, Overeem in that fight. So it was an impressive victory, despite me not technically agreeing with it. Now, getting over to Ngannou, uh, we know everything we need to know about Ngannou, but we still don't know much. We know that he's got insane power. He's an insane athlete, but for the most part, he just swings wild punches and charges at you. He doesn't really have much technique. He doesn't really have great cardio. The only time we've really seen him out of round two, I think he might have gotten a, an early round two finish in his early career, but he lost to Stipe and he lost to Lewis when he got out of round one. And I mean, besides that 90-second burst of offense in the beginning when he has knocked out most of his opponents, I don't think Ngannou has much. And I think that the, the pre-fight betting line of this one is way off. I think that Ngannou's chances of winning are like, 60 to 65 percent because if he doesn't get that knockout early i think the rosen strike is going to take over and pretty quickly i think if Ngannou has about two to three minutes to get that knockout or else rosen strikes going to start out striking him and looking like the favorite in here which is crazy because rosen strikes plus 250 right now and all he has to do is not get knocked out for maybe two minutes and i think that he should be smooth sailing for a decision victory over uh Ngannou because once Ngannou doesn't get that early knockout, he, he's not going to know what to do. He's been confused when he's striking at range with Stipe and with Lewis. And sure, he's been able to charge and knock out uh, Junior Dos Santos and Velasquez and Curtis Blades. And those are all good victories. And that's why he's the favorite here. But, I mean, those were quick victories. We didn't really see much from Ngannou. We didn't, we didn't see if he's improved at all. We don't know how his cardio is going to be. He hasn't fought past the first round in two years. So there's no way you could be uh, trusting Ngannou at this plus, minus 275 price. I actually don't think Ngannou wins at all. I think the pick here is Rosenstrike by decision. I think that Rosenstrike's the much better striker than Ngannou. He's got a plethora more uh, experience in terms of his kickboxing background. And... He also has a pretty, uh, you know, comparable MMA experience between Ngannou. Ngannou is very un inexperienced in MMA. He's only got like 30 minutes, 45 minutes worth of cage time or something like that. So this is a very even matchup. I think that if Ngannou does not charge him and get that early 90-second knockout like he's used to, he's he's honestly doomed. And Rosenstrike's going to start jabbing him, start leg-kicking him, and just lull him into a low-output kickboxing fight, sort of like Derek Lewis did. And is not going to know what to do. And Rosenstrike's going to probably piece him up, land a few more strikes per round, and uh, win a decision in, in an uneventful fashion. So... I mean, the, the, the public perception behind this fight is two big, you know, huge guys who are going to go in there and collide and knock each other out. But I, I think it's going to turn into the opposite. I think it's going to be a very patient and a very low output kickboxing fight that Rosenstrike's going to steal on the scorecards. And I mean, it's a bold prediction. I mean, you 
you're going to expect Ngannou to just charge out, out there and get that knockout. And he very may, might do so. And he might get that finish in 90 seconds. And he might look minus 275. But I really don't think the chances of him looking the uh, minus 275 justified are, are very high. So the pick here, once again, is Rosenstrike by decision. And uh, that I think that the, the Rosenstrike by decision prop has a lot of value. Rosenstrike money line has value. And the fight goes to, to the decision at plus 260 has value as well. So uh, that's my thoughts on this crazy fight. And with that being said, we're going to move on to the title fights on this card. We have two title fights starting things off with the Bantamweight Championship between champion Henry Cejudo and former champion Dominic Cruz. The opening betting line between these two was Cejudo minus 245 to Cruz plus 175. Right now we are seeing Cejudo minus 215, Cruz plus 195. So two-way action coming in on this fight. And early action came in on Cejudo. Action since then has been steady climbing back on Cruz. And rightfully so, I think that Cruz is the value side in this one. And it might seem like a simple matchup. I mean, Cejudo is the, the double champion, flyweight champion, bantamweight champion. He has wins over Demetrius Johnson, TJ Dillashaw, Marlon Moraes in his past three fights. That's an incredible resume. And you, on the other hand, you have Dominic Cruz coming off of a three-year layoff. Has not fought since December of 2016, so more like three and a half years. And he lost that fight. He did not look good in that fight. He got outclassed for five rounds versus uh, Garbrandt. And he's coming off that long layoff. He's historically been injury-prone. And all signs point to Cejudo having an easy matchup here. Oh, it's also short notice for Dominic Cruz, too. Cejudo was supposed to take on Jose Aldo. Uh, Aldo pulled out around three or four weeks ago, and, and Cruz uh, hopped in. So all signs point to Cejudo having a lot of advantages here. But in terms of how the fight's actually going to play out, I think it's really, really close. And I think that Cejudo is going to struggle. I think that Cejudo has a very real chance of losing this fight. And I think that you cannot be betting on Cejudo at minus 215 without heavily relying on athletic advantages for Cejudo. Now, no doubt he is the better athlete. He should have the better cardio. He's probably stronger than Cruz too. But I don't think you should be betting relying on those intangible factors of athleticism when there's actually tangible evidence on tape, the history of them fighting, that suggests that Cejudo is going to struggle to hit Cruz because I think Cruz's footwork, his his head movement, is really going to confuse Cejudo. And Cejudo struggled to outstrike Demetrius Johnson, who also has similar elusive footwork and, and head movement. Uh, Cejudo was outstruck on the numbers by Demetrius Johnson and really only won that fight with his wrestling. And Dominic Cruz has a historically tremendous wrestling, offensive and defensive. He uh, out-wrestled Demetrius Johnson his own time uh, back in 2011 or 12 or something like that. And he's also got historically great takedown defense and scrambling ability. And the wrestling exchanges in this one will be very competitive. And I think you obviously have to lean Cejudo to win them. But I don't think he's going to dominate the wrestling exchanges as mu as much as people expect him to. I think Cruz, his scrambling ability, his takedown defense will still be very uh, competitive, and he might even be able to completely avoid getting uh, stuck on his back at all like Demetrius Johnson did. Um, 
Now, if you look back to Cejudo's last fight, it was an extremely impressive come-from-behind victory. He was losing the first six or seven minutes of that fight versus Marias, then started uh, landing hard right hands and uh, great clinch knees, and eventually was able to start dominating Marias and finished him in round three with a barrage of knees, punches, and ground and pound. Incredible victory to get that Bantamweight championship. But, I mean, Marias gassed out really badly in that fight. It's It's... No one disputes that. He gassed at the 7-8 minute mark and that's when Cejudo took over. But until that point, he was getting shilled in that fight. And I mean, Dominic Cruz does not gas out. He has historically had an incredible gas tank. He paces himself very well. He does not go for that early first round knockout and expend a ton of energy like Marias does. He paces himself and he fights very slow and, and steadily throughout the five rounds. So in the first two rounds, I actually favored Dominic Cruz. I think that Cruz will go ahead up into a, a two-round lead after the first two rounds of this fight. And that's when we're going to start to see Cejudo really turn up the pressure, start trying to put uh, Cruz in his back foot and, and win this fight uh, based on athleticism, based on being the bully being the more athletic and durable fighter because I think that it's it's pretty uh, irrefutable that, that Suhudo is going to be the more durable guy in there. He's uh, the, the younger, more athletic fighter. I mean, the damage that he took versus uh, Marais and marched right through it was incredible. I just think it's going to be really hard for Dominic Cruz to hurt and to stop the forward movement of Suhudo. Uh, while on the other hand, I think that Suhudo does have the power, does have the strength uh, to, to bully uh, uh, Cruz and to possibly hurt Cruz because. Uh, Cruz versus Garbrandt looked a lot slower. He got, his chin looked a little suspect. He was getting uh he was getting dropped with uh with a lot more um a lot weaker punches than we usually see. I mean, Garbrandt was catching him clean. He was landing hard punches on the chin, but I mean, ordinarily we we've seen Dominic Cruz roll with those punches and and, and stay standing, but he was getting dropped a few times in that fight, and he just looked a step behind. I mean, he looked. Pretty sharp versus Dillashaw versus uh, Uriah Faber in 2015 and 2016. But at the end of 2016 versus Garbrandt, he looked to be starting to fall off of a cliff. And that was three and a half years ago. So Cruz's athleticism, his conditioning is, is way up in the air. I mean, that's the biggest unknown about this fight is how good is Cruz going to be. Because if it's the dominant Cruz from four or five years ago, I think that he wins this fight. I think that... He avoids the wrestling exchanges. He avoids getting stuck on his back like Demetrius Johnson did. And he uses his elusive foot, uh, footwork, head movement, and striking abilities to outstrike Cejudo on the feet. But I highly, highly doubt that Cruz is the same in the same shape as he was four or five years ago. So that's really where why this fight is so interesting because Cruz's athleticism is up in the air. I mean, Henry Cejudo is coming off a surgery of his own. Uh, we don't know how, how good shape these guys are going to be in in these quarantine circumstances, going the full five rounds at this high pace. So there's a lot of unknown about this fight. It's very, very interesting. But the pre-fight betting. I think that it's clear dog or pass situation. I think that uh, it's actually wor uh, worth it to bet Cruz at above plus 150, plus, you know, where he's at right now, plus 200. It's, it's a great bet because I think he's going to jump up to an early lead. And then maybe after round two, after uh, Cruz jumps up two rounds, then it would be a good time to live bet Henry Cejudo. Maybe look to get plus money on both sides. And. Coming down to the, to the official prediction is what happens. I think it, Cejudo 
does what he did against Demetrius Johnson, and then it is he wins a close decision on optics. And what I mean by that is he wins the fight at the right time because Demetrius Johnson won. 80% of that fight versus Cejudo, but Cejudo took him down at the end of round two, he stole round two. He took him down at the end of round four, he stole round four. And he was super aggressive in round five, and he won round five. He didn't outstrike Demetrius Johnson, he did not beat Demetrius Johnson in terms of the official scoring criteria, but he looked like the winner, he looked like the aggressor, he looked like the guy who was. Uh, forcing the initiative when it mattered and that's how he won that fight versus Demetrius Johnson so I think he does a similar thing here versus Dominic Cruz he wins maybe the last three rounds he waits till Cruz gets up to an early lead and looks to slow down a little bit and that's when Cejudo will turn up the pace and really start uh, doing work in those third, fourth, and fifth uh, championship rounds. We might even see a Cejudo finish depending on how good a shape Cruz is in and what his durability is looking like this late in his career. So it's a very fun, interesting matchup. I would be uh, ecstatic to see Dominic Cruz uh, come back and pull off this crazy upset comeback victory off of that three and a half year layoff but I just do not see it happening I think it's a little too much of a, a stretch at this point to, to fully predict that uh, outcome although I do think that uh, Dominic Cruz's betting line is the uh, the side to be on in terms of the betting window here so once again the official prediction is Cejudo by decision close decision 48 47 type of decision and uh, once again the betting value on Cruz uh, will we'll not be touching Cejudo pre-fight. We'll be looking to bet Cejudo uh, live once he starts losing those early rounds. So going to be a great fight. Really looking forward to this one. And that's going to take us to the main event. For the UFC Interim Lightweight Championship, we have Tony Ferguson taking on Justin Gaethje. The opening betting line for this one was Ferguson minus 207, Gaethje plus 164. Right now we are seeing... Ferguson minus 174 to Gaethje plus 164. So two-way action coming in on this fight. I would say a little more action towards Ferguson. The past few days, we've seen Ferguson jump from around minus 165 to 85, back to 75. So it looks like more action is coming in on the favorite Ferguson's way. And I think that the public money is going to be on Ferguson here. I mean, he's got the 12 win streak. I think he's a little more recognizable of a name. He's picked up those uh, signature wins lately over Pettis and Cerrone that got, uh, got a lot of eyes on him. While Gaethje is just a very historically underrated fighter in terms of the betting uh, perspective, he was an underdog to James Vick. He was an underdog to Barbosa. He looked minus 400 in both of those fights. He was only minus 190 to um, Cowboy Cerrone not that long ago as well. Also looked minus 600 in that fight. I mean, so he's historically underrated in the betting window. And I think that that is happening again here. I think that this line is way, way off. I'm actually going to make a bold statement. And I think that Justin Gaethje should be the favorite in this one. And I will explain here why. And it's not because I'm hating on Tony Ferguson. I love Tony Ferguson. I wish we would have got to see him fight Khabib, but I think that his 12-fight win streak actually ends on Saturday here, and it's going to be sad because he did not get a, a, an undisputed title shot. He was mistreated by the UFC for years, and it's all going to end without him getting a title shot, and I think that Gaethje actually knocks him out on Saturday night here. 
And this theory mainly stems from Ferguson's boxing defense. I mean, it's a huge liability. He has been pulling his head straight back in the line in his recent fights. He's gotten tagged by by Pettis. He got rocked by Venata. He got uh, tagged by Kevin Lee at some points. I mean, he's just a very uh, defensively lazy fighter. He does not, uh, you know, take priority on blocking punches. His style is around eating one punch to land two of his own. And that might work against forgiving punchers like Kevin Lee, Lando Venata, Pettis, Cerrone, but I mean, Gaethje is one of the most unforgiving punchers in the entire UFC. This guy has extremely potent boxing. He's great in the pocket. He's great at throwing punches off of the clinch. That is how he knocked out uh, Barbosa. I mean, he he missed one of his, or he landed a right hand, and uh, you know, off of this weird backpedaling situation, he just fired another right hand and and was able to knock out Barbosa with one punch. Same thing with Gaethje. Uh, knocked him out cold, or with uh, with Vic, excuse me, knocked him out cold with one right hand, sat Cerrone down with a right hand, so there's no doubt that, that Gaethje has massive power in his hands, and I think if he connects on Ferguson, I mean, I think he could put Tony out early, and another big factor in this fight is Ferguson tends to take five, seven minutes to get warmed up, I mean, he... Might it, people even were talking about how he lost round one versus Cerrone. I I honestly scored the round for Ferguson, but that that shows you people's perception is he takes a while to get started in fights. That he usually he doesn't lose early. He just tends to take a little bit to feel his opponents out and to really start unleashing his offense in the second round. And he starts to usually take over in round two. But I think that. If he waits that typical five to seven minutes versus Gaethje, he, he's going to sleep before he can start turning it up in round two like he usually does because you can't give Gaethje five minutes. I mean, Gaethje starts extremely fast. It took him 35 seconds to rock Edson Barboza in their last fight. I mean, he knocked out uh, Vic in 90 seconds. He knocked out Cerrone in round one. Now, I'm not taking too much stock into these matchups I, because they are they – are, easy matchups for uh, Gaethje despite him being uh, the underdog in most of them they are pretty uh, you know easy matchups when you look back at it but just Gaethje's historic career I mean he's extremely durable he can take a massive amount of punishment before he gets knocked out like Poirier and Alvarez both landed well north of 100 strikes before they knocked him out. He's got extremely damaging leg kicks. He's got great takedown defense and scrambling ability. If Tony tries to take him down, I think uh, Gaethje will be able to scramble back up to his feet, avoid any submission threats from Tony. And the leg kicks will be a major factor for Gaethje landing uh, on Tony. Tony's very heavy on his lead leg sometimes. Anthony Pettis was uh, hitting him with some pretty hard leg kicks. And it really does come down to the boxing exchanges and the pocket exchanges between these two. Because when they're at range, uh, kicking range, when uh, Ferguson can throw his long uh, front kicks, his own leg kicks, his own straight punches, he will probably get the better of Gaethje and land the better strikes. But when it gets in close, when it gets into the pocket and the clinch, Gaethje is going to win those exchanges and he's going to do massive, massive damage in those exchanges. When when Ferguson is pulling his head straight back and he's yanking his head back in that straight line, that's when Gaethje's going to time it and land those devastating uh, hook punches, those overhands that he put out Vic with, that he put out Barbosa with, and many of his opponents before that and he's a historically knockout winner he does not win by decision much and 
I do think that Tony Ferguson has a way to win this fight, and I'm not totally counting Ferguson out. He is uh, still a tremendous fighter, despite him, I believe, declining athletically a bit in his past few fights. I think he's going to have to start fast this time. He's going to have to realize that Gaethje likes to start fast, and Tony is going to have to uh, meet him in the center. He's going to have to meet fire with fire, and he's going to have to be prepared to exchange in the pocket early. He might have to mix up with the takedown. He might have to try to get Gaethje tired uh, with the grappling exchanges. And he's also going to have to attack the body of Gaethje. Gaethje is very susceptible to the body. Uh, Alvarez butchered him to the body with punches and eventually opened up that knee that knocked him out. And I believe uh, Poirier had some decent success with body punching as well. So um, it seems like Gaethje can take a massive amount of damage to the head. But to the body, he's very susceptible. Especially with considering that Gaethje is taking this fight on shorter notice than Tony. Tony is definitely going to be in better shape. He should definitely take over the fight in the third, fourth, and fifth round if it gets there. But for the first 12 or 15 minutes of this fight, I honestly favor Gaethje straight up. And if if Gaethje is able to, excuse me, if Ferguson is able to withstand that early storm, take it into the later rounds, yes, I do believe that Ferguson will take over, will start looking like the favorite, and will win by third, fourth round, fifth round knockout. But I honestly do not see it going to that third round. My official pick is Justin Gaethje to get the knockout within eight minutes. And I and I truly believe that it happens in round one. I just think that Gaethje's style uh, is he comes out so fast and he's going to be pressuring with those leg kicks and those hard punches. And with Tony's style, when he fights a little slow, he, he, he has that susceptible bad boxing defense. I, I think that Tony sadly goes to sleep at the hands of Gaethje here in round one. And uh, I believe that plus 164 is one of the most, uh, has one of the most valuable betting lines I've ever seen. Honestly, I, I'm truly stunned by it. I think that uh, Gaethje's chances of winning are around 65%. I honestly keep cap Gaethje as like a minus 200 favorite here like the, the line is totally flipped and I could be way off I could be underestimating Tony he might still be in his athletic prime he might keep uh, Gaethje at distance he might do great body work take Gaethje into the later rounds and drown him with his pressure like he does most of his opponents but I think that I favor the the pressure striking of Justin Gaethje a little more. Uh, the fact that he got uh, about three extra weeks to prepare for the fight is great. He, I mean, back in April 18th, I was still picking Gaethje because I believe the boxing is just that much of a clear advantage. But now that he's had three extra weeks to get his cardio, uh, you know, tuned up, I'm even more confident in Justin Gaethje to get the job done. So. Once again, the official pick, Justin Gaethje by first round knockout. I will be betting heavily on the Justin Gaethje money line and even be sprinkling some uh, on Justin Gaethje by knockout round one, round two props if you can get those uh, on your uh, sports books. So that is going to do it for the podcast this week. Uh, it's it's apparently that we're getting two more fight cards later this week, so we'll, hopefully we'll be grinding out episodes for each of those fight cards in the coming weeks. It seems like the UFC is trying to get back to full schedule, which means Martian MMA will be back to its full schedule, and it, it's great to be back. I uh, hope you all enjoyed this episode. Thank you all for listening. Uh, hope you all enjoyed the pay-per-view this weekend, and uh, I will see you later this week for the next UFC card. Peace. Peace.